Good morning, Browncroft. Uh, my name is Aaron McGinnis, or as I say for the teens, A.A. Ron. It's easier to remember. Um, and I am the student uh, director here at Browncroft, and today I have the absolute pleasure of talking with you guys today. I'm going to get right into it. We're in a series called Created For, and this week I get to round it out and talk about how we are created for vulnerability. We're created for vulnerability. I like the created for, this, this idea of design. It's not just this idea, but we are literally who we are. God has designed us for vulnerability. And to demonstrate this, I'm going to bring up a close personal friend of mine, someone that might be the most vulnerable person I know right now on earth. Um, and it's their first time on stage. So would you give a warm welcome to Miss Adeline May McGinnis. Yes, come on over. Oh, baby girl. Oh, this girl's so sweet. Um, this is Addie. She is three months old yesterday. She was born on May the 4th. Be with you, Knight. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't want that. We're like, not May the 4th or Cinco de Mayo. She'll be overshadowed by either. Uh, but she is an absolute delight. And I remember when we had her at 6.26 p.m., um, we, we got all the tests done and everything. And at 10 p.m., the nurse left my wife, Kelsey, who dropped Addie off, left Addie just to our care and our possession, and we look at each other and go, oh my gosh, we are responsible for keeping this human alive. We are totally responsible because in this baby, the way God has designed her, and dare I say designed all of us, is the need for a, a good, good father, good parents to provide for everything. She cannot eat Without her mother, she cannot survive. She, she needs emotional attention and love or else she won't survive. She needs everything handed to her. I like putting her on the ground and thinking, wow, she can't move from a foot away without us picking her up and moving her. She's completely and utterly dependent. She is so vulnerable. She needs protection. And this is the crazy thing. She knows that. And she cries out to us, but she feels no shame. She's not adding anything super materialistically valuable to this world. Uh, she has tons of needs. She's completely vulnerable, yet she has no shame. It's really interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand her off before she gets fussed. You did great. Fantastic job, Addie. There you go. Thanks, son. <laughs> Good job. Um, that idea of of being completely vulnerable, needing uh, all these things met for us, but having no shame reminds me a little bit of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, as we've read, we've been going through Genesis. We see that God created the heavens and the earth and the skies and the seas and the lands. And then he created the beasts of the field and the fish and the birds in the sky. And then as his crowning jewel... He placed humanity um, to have dominion, to work and keep it. But even in placing humanity there, uh, he knew that they could not provide everything for themselves. God himself is the provider. God himself is the source of life. God himself provides for every need they have. And humans were not created to do that for ourselves. Um, but it was a beautiful picture, right? Adam and Eve walking in the garden. No secrets between them. No secrets between them and God, right? 
total transparency. They were naked, total unashamed living, right? Uh, and, and it's interesting that even though they knew they couldn't provide everything for themselves, they felt no shame. They didn't feel any less valuable. So that's a pretty amazing place to be, right? But the thing is, I don't think, I know this is true for me, I don't always walk around feeling that unashamed and that connected to God. So what happened? What happened from that beautiful image of creation to what we kind of experience today? And, um, and to, to look into this, we are going to look at Genesis 3. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out, flip like two and a half pages. It's one of the easier ones that we're doing for you uh, to Genesis 3. And we are going to be talking about a, a section called the fall. So let's read together. And as I read, I want you guys to just notice, try to notice things. What pops out to you? What's new? Um, how did the, we go from this place of vulnerability and complete value and complete dependence on God to where we end in this passage? So let's read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's a lot of things that jump out to me, and in there's a lot of things that this is absolutely foundational for how we experience life and where it goes wrong even. One of the first things I noticed, I don't know if you caught this, is I think about how God created the heavens, the earth, he created the beast, he created humanity to rule and have dominion. And God says, hey, I call things good. God created and God said it was good. God created and said it was good. God created humanity and said it is very good. So where, who, who holds the eyes for where we know truth and goodness comes from? God. And humanity is supposed to have dominion over the beast. But in this verse, or in this passage, we see that the beast is now defining good. Um, and they listen to the beast. They believe a lie. Um, and what happens is the, the man and the woman decide to look and say what's good for themselves. They go from truth being out here to, hey, truth is within and I'm going to say what's good. I'm going to call that fruit good and I'm going to eat it. That's one thing I noticed. What else did I notice? I noticed that after they believed the lie of the beast, of the serpent, uh, they, they took, they ate for themselves. 
And what did they do next? Did they take the, what they, did they disobey God and move towards him and say, God, I'm so sorry. I repent. I know you are the holder of truth. I need to go towards you. No, they moved further away from God. They moved further away from God. They started hiding. Did they let God cover them? No, they hid and covered themselves. So as they go, as they believe this lie, as they seek truth that's not from God, they take their vulnerability instead of saying, God, you are provider. You are good. You are the one who covers me. They say, I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to believe you. And I'm going to hide from you. I'm going to run away from you. And we get to this place of shame and guilt and deceit that, these, uh, that Adam and Eve are living in. It's really tough. Because even though this story is at the beginning of the Bible, one of the oldest texts ever, we know that this experience is true for us as well. And I want to let you know that what the Bible says about this is way, very, very different than what culture says about this. Culture says, hey, truth, value, purpose, and provision, you know where that comes from? Boom, from within. If you want to find truth, you got to know your own truth. If you want value, you got to know that you are valuable within yourself. Who cares what anyone else says? Purpose, you got to find your own purpose. Provision, you got to, you know, put on your bootstraps and give and provide for yourself. Culture says that this all comes from within. And uh, students, I know that you guys are getting hit with this harder than ever. We all long for truth, value, purpose, provision, all these things. But this is the kicker. What we think is going to save us actually destroys us. What we think is going to save us actually destroys us. When we seek these things within ourselves, it fails, and then we feel terrible, we feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel like failures because we were never designed to fulfill those things. We are vulnerable beings, and that's a good thing. But I want to tell a quick little story. When I heard I was preaching on vulnerability, one of my reactions, just being vulnerable, was, oh no, I have to be vulnerable with the entire congregation. Um, so I wanted to share a quick story about how I may have sought value, provision elsewhere other than God. And actually, it, this might resonate with some of you, maybe not. But for me, one of the areas came in terms of physical appearance. Physical appearance. So just, uh, we're going to rewind back to fourth grade Aaron McGinnis sitting down, having a conversation with my brother, and there's a couple things we noticed about my family. We, you know, at family reunions, we go, you know what's really cool about our family, about the men in our family? My brother's like, what is that? Uh, I said, they're all very tall. They're all very tall. My dad is 6'2". My uncle's 6'2". My other uncle's 6'2". My grandpa was 6'2". My other uncle's 6'3". My grandma was nearly six foot tall, 5'11 and three quarters. How do you compete with that? She started the women's basketball team at Roberts. I mean, that's, these are, this is the family I'm going into. I have female cousins who are 6'1". I, there's just a bunch of tall people. And I'm like, you know what? I found out that that seemed to be like a good thing. Our family was pretty proud about that. All right. And I even took a test in fifth, I think sixth grade that projected my height to be 6'2 or 6'3. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. I'm like, I'm feeling great about myself. This thing, this valuable trait is going to come to me, you know. But there was also a flip side. We also noticed that most of the men in the older generation did not have what I would call a crown of glory upon their head. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so there's a super positive thing. And, you know, I, I was, was told maybe this negative thing. And I remember my brother saying, don't worry, Aaron. By the time I hit that age, I'm going to have 10 years of Rogaine under my belt. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm like, I can do that too. This positive thing is going to come to me naturally. And this thing that I see as negative, I can mitigate. I can do something to figure it out so I don't become like that, right? And it was further perpetuated. I would get haircuts when I was a kid. And the hairstylist would be like, wow, your hair is so thick. I wish I had hair like you. And I'm like, okay, thick hair is valuable. Height is valuable. Let's do this thing. And as I got older, uh, that played out a little more. I remember being, uh, going, not on a date, but I, I fancied a girl. I did, you know. And I went to a soccer game with her. And I sat next to her and her dad. And I had never had a conversation with her dad. And he, he looks over and he goes, hey, Aaron. I'm like, yes. He's like, you're not very tall, are you? <laughs> and uh, immediately my value went boom. I, again, I'm, I realized that height equaled value. And it was college time. And although my uncle grew four inches in college, it wasn't happening to me. You know, so um, I felt really awful and less valuable at that moment. And I actually started believing the lie that I am less valuable because of my height. That didn't come from God, right? And then at the same exact athletic complex, a, a year later, I was long jumping. I was a long jumper at college. Long jump, have a good jump, get up. The official marks it. He said, hey, fantastic jump. I'm like, thank you. And he goes, you're really losing your hair, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, that's out of left field, Mr. Official. Um, and all these memories of, uh, of what we talked about, about the Rogaine, of the, the hairstylist cutting my hair, it made me realize, oh no, it's happening. I'm losing my value again in another way. I am less valuable because of my thinning hair, right? So uh, that happened. And uh, as I got older and, and was thinking about... Uh, you know, dating and hopefully maybe one day getting married, I, I found a, a girl that I really fancied. Her name was Kelsey. And I remember at this time, um, she was off away for the summer. And, I, and in my head, I'm like, this is the summer. This is a summer where I add value back to my life. Um, I am going to uh, work out a ton so that my physical appearance is pleasing to her, right? Even I remember going to CVS and I needed inserts in my shoes. And I'm like, oh, you know, my plantar fasciitis, right? But I look and I see the Dr. Scholes. There's this thin one. And I look over here. There's this really thick, adds two inches of height to your appearance. And I remember sitting there thinking hard. I'm like, do I do it? Kelsey's a tall girl. If I look shorter than her, I'll be less valuable. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you what I ended up choosing. But these are the thoughts that were going through my mind. And so I'm working out. I'm researching hair loss programs. I'm calculating the costs and all this stuff. I'm trying to get taller. And let me tell you. That summer where I was trying to be valuable, trying to gain value for myself, trying to find uh, that value within me was one of the hardest, worst summers of my life. I, I was the most alone, the most isolated. I was looking in the mirror more than I ever had, and I was so critical of myself more than ever. But I was following what culture tells us to do, find value within Find provision through your own work. Yet what, what I thought was going to save me was actually destroying 
me. I have this little note I wrote. I'll read it. Uh, Our value, everything, provision, truth comes from God. It's God's job to provide those things. When we take the role of God, when we we are deceived, when we uh, believe lies, we end up feeling shameful. We cannot provide for ourselves. We become self-obsessed. We isolate ourselves. We hide from the God and the people we love most. Guys, the cycle of sin and shame is a really tough one. And although my story might not be your story of physical appearance, I know that we all have something going on where we are finding value apart from God. It could be anything, um, but one thing that gave me hope, we'll say, is we did a prayer night with the students one night. We set up these prayer stations. We did a whole night of prayer, and it was beautiful. And we, we did this one where we asked students to identify lies that they were believing about themselves. Identify the lies that they were believing and to bring them before God. Do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did and bring those lies before God, into the light, before truth. But I want you to kind of sit and grapple with some of the things that our students are thinking, the lies that they are trying to undo, trying to not believe, but that they are feeling about themselves. So I'm just going to read this. I am not worthy of my friend's love and attention. I don't deserve to be loved. I'm not good enough. I am overweight, and unless I change that, no one will love me. Not good at anything. Nobody likes me. I need to change who I am. I'm stupid. I'm not smart. I'm annoying. I'm a mistake. I'm not good enough. I can't do anything. No one loves me. I'm ugly and no one wants me. I'm not a good person. Not funny. I don't have strength to make the right choice. People should not like me. The power of the enemy is is real and it's present in all of our lives so how do we go from a place where these lies are so prevalent in our lives how can we go from there how can we be restored to a place back where we have childlike faith where there's no secrets no shame and complete and utter reliance and dependence on God where we're not hiding from him. How can we go from a place where the lies do not have such a grip on us? I'll tell you how. Through the greatest act of vulnerability of all time, I'm gonna read Isaiah 53. For us, it's not gonna be up on the screen, just, just listen as I read verses two through five. 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root of dry ground. He had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace that we deserved was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Guys, the only invulnerable one, the only invulnerable one, the creator of the universe, in the greatest act of vulnerability and love in, in all of history, sent his son himself as a child and was subject to the oppression, death, and destruction of his own creation whom he loved in order to bring us life. Guys, it is through vulnerability that we find life. It is through vulnerability that we find life. When we undo what happened in Genesis 3, when we stop finding truth, provision, purpose within ourselves, like culture tells us, when we bring it before God instead of do what Adam and Eve did, did and, and move away and away and away and away, when we move towards, when we take those lies and bring them towards God and say, God, here's my life, here are the lies I'm believing, what is your truth? Teach me, give me wisdom, don't let me gain wisdom by myself because that's not true wisdom. Lord, I need to be close to you, because when I am close to you, when I have no secrets with you, when I have no secrets with others, there is no shame, and that's actually how you brought life into this world. I like to think about Addie, my daughter, and think about what type of father she needs. Addie doesn't need a father who's very strong, very tall, has beautiful locks of hair, can fix everything, is invulnerable. She doesn't need a Superman father. <laughs> what she needs is a father who teaches her to go before God, who says, Addie, I do not know the answers, but we're going to go before God in prayer together. I do not have the wisdom, but we're going to go before God together. I do not know what's good or bad. I'm going to seek his character, seek his scriptures, and seek him through prayer. Uh, I do not know where our next paycheck's going to come from, but God is provider, and we are going to trust him, and we're going to have childlike faith, because in our vulnerability, which is good, we are going to seek God in every single aspect of life for value for provision, for truth, for all that we long for. We are going to seek God because that he is designed to fulfill those things and we are not designed to fulfill those things. That's the kind of father that Addie needs. I'm going to let the band come on up uh, as we prepare um, to listen to a song that hints towards communion. We're going to take communion after this. And as we see the lyrics come up on screen, we are going to read about the greatest act of vulnerability of all time. Jesus, God incarnate, made flesh, subject to his own, the, the destruction of his own creation for us out of great love and for his glory.
And what we're also going to do is we're going to do the same activity that our students have already done. Students, if you're in here, we'll do it again. (laughs) And what I want you guys to do during this song is to identify some lies that you've been believing. Some places where you have not let God in. You have tried to cover your own vulnerability, not with God, but with yourself. Where you're trying to find value and purpose within. Whatever it may be, it's going to be all around. And I want you to identify a lie and do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did and bring it before God instead of run away from God. Whether it's a sin struggle, whatever you feel shame about, whatever it may be, write it down or think about it and be in prayer. Bring it before God who covers us because we do a, a lousy job at covering ourselves. So let's take uh, this time and do that together.